respiratory therapists will like this will be the first thing we tell you is we don't do anything below the waist like if there is a code <laughs> brown like we are out of there so fast there's a lot to life and we're figuring it out because who knows we don't I'm Jonah. And I'm Jack. This is the podcast of our crusade to be at least mediocre at everything. Amanda, thank you so much for being here with uh, with us today on our podcast and um, taking the time to tell us a little bit more about yourself, um, your experiences in this crazy year that we've had. Um, and, and I, I think you have a really unique story. So, um, thank you so much for, for being here and sharing a little bit more about it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Is COVID a hoax? Because on Fox news, I've been, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> is COVID, is COVID a hoax? Yeah, I know. It, it's hard to know if it's a hoax with all the people, all your, you know, friends on Facebook telling you it is, it's hard to know who to believe the experts are. <laughs> Facebook friends, right? You know, Facebook University School of Medicine is it's a hard one to <laughs> it's a hard one to beat, but it's scary. You know, I I just wish that people could see what we see on a daily basis in the hospital. You know, I, I think having that firsthand experience um, really gives us a unique perspective that other people just don't have, unfortunately. Tell us about your background. What is your background? Share a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. So. Um, I obviously have known Jack for a long time, met in high school, pretty soon after I got out of high school, I, I didn't really want to go just like the four years of college route and figure out what I wanted to do. I knew, I knew I wanted to go into the medical field. Uh, I did the respiratory therapy program for two years and then I jumped right into a career and I've been doing that for nine years. I have an almost one year old and a two year old. So yeah, not a lot of free time, but it's it's exciting. <laughs> it's um, impressive that you're able to manage all of this, and and on top of that, you know, working working as as a respiratory therapist. I don't quite know what a respiratory therapist does. Most people don't. No, most people don't. Don't feel bad. <laughs> Even after I tell them what I do, they still don't. Still don't know. So. we'll see we'll see if it sticks today with us yes what we do is we are in charge of you know basically the cardiopulmonary system primarily um, the greatest need for us is in hospitals so um, at the basic level we do um, small volume nebulizers or svns so if you have to have a breathing treatment a lot of people have seen this the mask or the mouthpiece with the the mist coming out so we do a lot of Mm. those obviously and we also do other things like uh, chest physiotherapy. So if you have pneumonia or something that a disease that causes a lot of mucus in your chest, um, chest physiotherapy is essentially just banging on your chest to try to loosen that stuff up. Um, and there are a lot of machines that we operate as well to kind of help us um, in those therapies. And then kind of at a, a more advanced level, we manage. Um, people on life support, so ventilators. We assist physicians in the ICU with like intubations, so inserting breathing tubes. We run the BiPAP and CPAP machines. You know, we work on the floors in the ICU and the ER 
we work in the NICU with little babies who might need some extra help with breathing and kind of mm. kind of go everywhere. So what is what is the difference between like the ICU and like the ER? Uh, the emergency room is, you know, if you're sitting at home having a podcast, recording a podcast and suddenly you're like, oh, man, I'm having I'm having chest pain. I'm having jaw pain, like all the signs of a heart attack. And you decide, you know, I need to call 911 and go to the hospital. The first place you're going to go is the ER. So that's where anyone comes in first, unless you are a direct admit, like if you're at your doctor's office and they're like, you need to be admitted, um, they'll call the hospital and be able to admit you sometimes. Um, But otherwise, everyone comes through the ER first. And the ER determines, does this person need to stay and be admitted to the hospital? Or do we treat them um, and send them home and recommend they see a specialist? You know, a lot of people come in in cardiac arrest and we resuscitate them and then they go right to the ICU. So there's patients that obviously come in with certain conditions and they're very serious and they need to go straight to the ICU. So the ER is kind of just like they triage and decide what needs to happen with, with you and you go to the appropriate area. Okay. That makes sense. What's the pace like as a respiratory therapist in the ICU? Yeah, that's actually a really good question because things can just get crazy really fast, especially with COVID. Just our our lo- our workloads have really increased because, you know, at any point you could get, you know, two or three new patients in the span of of an hour or you might have two patients that are on the verge of needing to be intubated. Pre-COVID it sounds like the ICU is pretty busy, mm-hmm. obviously, as a respiratory therapist. Yeah. But then with COVID, I mean, on your busiest, wildest day in the ICU, I mean, what were the major changes that you experienced then versus pre- pre-COVID times, I guess? Yeah, that's a good question. So during the wintertime pre-COVID, you know, that's generally our busy time. So we'll have a lot of influenza and pneumonia. Um, mm-hmm. and But it's it's more predictable. We, we kind of know what to expect, you know? Um, but with COVID it's just, it's unpredictable because you'll have patients in the ICU that are there for a long time. Once someone gets intubated with COVID, they're likely going to be on a ventilator for a long time. Um, and another thing that we haven't really experienced before is, the ICU is full. We need to save the ICU for the sickest of the sickest. So it's really just trying to like manage really sick patients on other floors um, that potentially could be considered ICU patients. So what I've seen a lot is people being like, the hospitals are full, like ICU is full. We're at 100% capacity. And then we have people on the other side saying, no, they're not. And then both of these people like will work at a hospital. Yeah. And and so I think understanding like what that means, like we're at capacity means that you can still go to the hospital. But basically what you said was, you know, maybe you're not getting the care that you might otherwise get because they're trying to handle you and keep you out of the ICU versus just having you in the ICU. And so I think that's probably something important to understand because when I see people saying, no, the hospitals, they're not, you you can go to the hospital today and get a bed, but you know, it's not going to be the same bed as you would otherwise get. Right. So 
that's a that's a good point. You know, it, it's a fact that I mean, you can go to the Arizona data dashboard and you can see how many ICU beds are available and and what the trends are looking like. Obviously, we want to treat everybody, but you know, if your nurse has extra patients or she or he is taking care of four or five COVID patients, it's a lot more stress on the staff. There's just a lot of factors that people don't think about just because, you know, they don't work in a hospital. They don't understand how it works. We just don't see that side of things. We don't see what you guys see. And some people might see it in different ways than others. Like, you know, like uh, we might see it as like, this is a big deal. You know, there are no more beds. We got to prevent people from coming in here and, and taking up all this, all the beds and rooms. Whereas some other people I'm sure are like, yeah, you know, whatever. <laughs> Yeah. There's rooms. There's room. There's a chair. I'm okay. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I, I think a lot of people will just not like no matter what you tell them, no matter what data you show them, they're just not gonna believe it until one of their family members becomes critically ill or they become ill and you know, you're stuck in a room alone without family being able to come see you and you're isolated and then you're like, Oh wow, this is wow, this is crazy. Yeah. I even saw on TikTok, my other news source, <laughs> um, this TikTok, I believe, was, uh, you know, somebody in the medical field talking about how basically, um, I, th- I believe it was for Christmas, they were able to FaceTime one of their COVID patients who was on a ventilator with the family. Mm-hmm. And the family was at a family friend's house with a huge group of people. Oh and it's I like, I saw that. Even when you're when you do have a critically ill family member, it's like yeah, yeah, it's like going right over there over your head. Yeah, it's yeah, it just I don't I don't get it, and I don't, (laughs) I don't think I ever will. (laughs) It's just like no, you don't know what you don't know. So you don't understand how diseases are transmitted, or we all know that this has become super political. So Mm -hmm. if your political side of the spectrum is saying this has a 99 point whatever percent survival rate, then that's kind of just what you're going to fall back on. You know, like that's how they're going to behave is, oh, this is a really high recovery rate. So I'm just going to live my life because it doesn't matter, you know, regardless of if their neighbor or friend is in the hospital. It's unfortunate. Yeah. And then they're also not taking into consideration like, the survival yeah that's wonderful that's great that you know we're surviving but there's also like lasting effects that we're finding too that well yeah and i (laughs) can make quality of life hard yeah and you also have to realize like that 99 point that you know if it's a 0.5 percent death rate or one percent death rate if everyone in the u.s is exposed like that's a lot of dead people when we're talking Mm -hmm. you know what i mean so i i think people or like, oh, it's whatever percent survival rate. But like you said, okay, how many people are going to suffer long-term, serious long-term effects? They're, they're just trying to cherry pick data points that support their narrative. That's just how uh, it always is. Yeah, that's 100% right. How do everybody on the medical team work together? I'm like very confused about that. For some reason, I've been in the hospital once and it was like 
the nurses would come in and then the doctor would come in and then like the coordinate, like the coordination and stuff like that. Yeah. 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 And that's a valid question because it just seems like, like, why is it taking so long for this person to come in? Or, you know, I thought my whatever mm-hmm. treatment was due at this time, but I'll start with your nurse. So your nurse, if you're on a regular unit, um, typically will have four to five patients. Um, like, let's just pretend it's pre-COVID right now. So your nurse will have four or five patients, right? All of her patients have meds due at the same time. You know, you're helping patients bathe themselves and go to the bathroom and you're administering meds and you're helping them turn in bed and like just have all these responsibilities. And then the lab. So the lab comes around every morning and gets labs on every single patient on the floor um, throughout the whole hospital. And then you have a respiratory therapist and they have their list of, you know, they might have 15, 20 patients that they have to see during the day, sometimes more, you know, and then the doctor, obviously, they have patients maybe at their office, they have to see and then they have a lot of patients in the hospital to see. So, you know, we try to coordinate what we can, because, you know, we'll come in and I'll take someone's oxygen level and listen to their lungs. And I'll be like, the nurse just did this. But we all have to chart for our own um, records. So it's, Mm. I can see why it would be frustrating sometimes. But there's only so much coordination we can do just because there's so many patients, you know? Yeah. Like, so I'm guessing every position has like their own chain of command, right? Yeah. Like, uh-huh. you know, respiratory therapists, they staff with their own supervisor and it's like very completely different than the nurses, very completely than. Yep. You're you totally know, right. Techs. Yep. Um, I felt like for a while, I don't know if it's a scare tactic or, you know, I'm sure part of it too is trying to educate people, but. They're like, you don't want to get COVID because you get intubated. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the statistics, I mean, chances are you're not going to have to get intubated. Um, You know, the the chance of that is just pretty low if you're just a healthy individual. Now, that's not to say it can't happen to you. You know, you could be in that small percentage. Um, We've definitely seen young people have to get intubated. And um, but generally, if you're you're young um, and healthy, that's not generally something that people need to worry about. Um, but yeah, it, it's just, it's definitely, we obviously are seeing more people on ventilators than we would with like even a really bad influenza. So um, the potential for more complicated, like more serious complications, like the, the pneumonia that happens when COVID um, hits you a little harder. Um, like it's pretty, it's pretty bad. So Um, a ventilator is definitely like a last resort. So first you would get put on oxygen, um, a a regular cannula. And then if you needed more support than that, then we would put you on what's called a high flow nasal cannula. So that gives you a little bit more support. It allows us to give you a higher concentration of oxygen as well. You might get put on a BiPAP machine and then, you know, a ventilator is obviously our last resort you know if if it's either like okay you're gonna die without a ventilator then of course we're gonna intubate you and put you on a Mm -hmm. ventilator um that's that's interesting to hear 
the, I guess, the steps that someone's going to take before they even get to the in- intubation. Yeah. Well, from what I saw, I just like, oh, you get COVID, you get into the hospital, you're, you're getting intubated. Yeah. And that's but also, it's not that. I've noticed that too, is people think if you have a really serious case of COVID and have to go to the hospital, you're going to have to go on a ventilator. And that's, that's definitely not true. It's a possibility, mm-hmm. but you know, there's a lot of people that get COVID and come to the hospital and they have to be on oxygen or a high flow for a while and then they start getting better, fortunately. Another thing that I heard was if you get intubated, it's a death sentence. Mm-hmm. Like they're like the recovery rate after you're intubated is slim to none. They're saying to you like, this shit's going to hurt. You got to, you know, you got to be on your stomach with your ass up in the air. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> mortality rate for COVID, if you have to get intubated, it is relatively higher than other diseases like influenza. Mm. But that's not to say we don't, you know, get people off the ventilators and they make a full recovery. It's a, you know, a long and hard recovery, but it does happen for sure. The nurses turn patients as often as possible so you don't get like bed sores and stuff like that. But if you think about like let, you know, let's say you are on a ventilator for 2 or 3 weeks and you start to get better and we're able to get you off the ventilator. It's just like you've been laying in a bed for three weeks. Uh, you're going to oh. be, yeah, you're going to be hurting when you, when you wake up for sure. And having the tube, oh. <clears throat> if you don't get trached and you, you know, you just have the, the uh, endotracheal tube down your throat, like your, your throat's going to hurt too, you know? Um, yeah. It's, it's a hard recovery. And that's another thing is like, I wish I could show people like, yeah, the people that do survive being on a ventilator and, you know, even if they're just in the hospital on a high flow or BiPAP or something like it's a long recovery. Oh, my. I never even thought at all about I my back hurts when I lay for two hours in the same position. Yeah, me too. Me too. And they're awake like they're they're not like in a coma. When you're on a ventilator, you're definitely. Yeah, we put you out. Okay, oh. okay. I can't imagine how hard this year has been. I can't imagine how hard that job is. I'll tell you that much. It's almost like when I think back, my mind like minimizes how scary this is and how traumatic this is because it's like, it's hard to understand. Right. And so when you're in the front lines, like you are seeing people day in and day out, super, super sick in the ICU, like what emotions are you feeling especially as you're working with a patient who might not make it and you're seeing this time and time again I don't know how often you work with a patient who passes away or who's Mm -hmm. critically ill but I mean what emotions are going through you during that time and just collectively over the past year I can't imagine yeah so normally we deal with death you know it's a normal part of our job and you learn how to just accept that like that's just normal. You're able to leave work. Of course, there's always those patients where you're attached to them and it's a re- it's really hard, but we are just kind of able to cope with that. Um, but COVID, of course, has kind of just exploded our normal and just it, it's just intense all the time. You don't really get that breather. You just see crappy stuff all the time, especially working in an ICU, you know, so you see the worst of the worst. So you're a little bit like it's, you have to like stop and realize, okay, it's not this bad everywhere else, but 
in an ICU, you're really just seeing the worst of the worst all the time. And so the hard part is, you know, you are basically like the patient's support. Um, They're there without their families. They're scared. You know, they've heard all this stuff about COVID. They know that they're in the ICU. So what they're thinking is, you know, kind of what you brought up, like, am I going to get intubated? Am I going to die? And they ask us that stuff, you know, like, do I have to be on, you know, when we tell them, hey, we need to put you on a ventilator um, in order to try to save your life, uh, you know, people lose it, you know, and they don't have their families Mm -hmm. there to comfort them. It's us, but also, you know, we have a respirator on, we have goggles on, we have a face shield on, we have, you know, it's just... It's kind of. You look like the people from ET. Yeah, it, I mean, it's exactly, exactly. I actually just watched that movie like two weeks ago. <laughs> but it, it probably feels dehumanizing. It's like you want that connection with another person, and you're look, you can barely see their eyes. So it, it's just hard, you know. You're mm. you're trying to comfort people and give them hope, but you know, at the same time, you don't know what you know what's going to happen. Um, so over time, just dealing with this over and over again, it it definitely is like emotionally and physically just so draining. Um, It's also really draining because you can't really explain what it's like to other people that aren't there experiencing it. So of course I'm doing better now because I've realized like how to cope a little bit better. But when this is going on, you know, I would just come home and like not really talk to my husband about it at all. And so you just feel like you're carrying around this weight all the time and no one can understand what it's like, or, you know, you're trying to share your experience or like ask people to please help. And when they just kind of like laugh in your face, it's like, man, like, I just feel like I'm screaming and no one's listening, you know? So it's definitely hard. It, it, um, it definitely has an impact on you and your physical and mental health. Um, it's hard. Yeah. Have you been able to kind of create a network of folks who understand, you know, so that way you can talk to them about it or have you like reached out to even on Facebook, like groups or whatever, you know, have you been able to, you know, make connections with folks to be able to process and talk about it a little more? Yeah. So I definitely have utilized therapy. I do have like a few coworkers that we've kind of just been each other's support system. I actually have, you know, taken a couple months off and honestly, like that has just really opened my eyes to, wow, like I can't, I, I like can almost not relate to the state I was in before I, I took that break. Um, Mm-hmm. Just because like you don't realize how much it affects you until you're removed from it. So um, I'm about to start yeah. a new job here pretty soon. Um, and I think I'm better equipped to like handle it this time. And I know what I need to do to take care of my own mental health. And, you know, I try to reach out to my my coworkers and friends that are in it right now and just like let them know that, you know, I... I see what they're doing and I understand what they're going through. And I think just like healthcare workers supporting each other is, is the, you know, the best way we can get through this. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to know that, you know, you're utilizing some supports. That's really important. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's kind of one of those things too, when I think about it, it's like, you know, when you're at work and it's high stress crisis, all of this stuff, it's like you're expending all of your energy on worrying about your client. And then at the end of the day, that's when you have time to be like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, it sounds, ex- it sounds exactly like you said, exhausting. Yeah. When you're, when you're in it and you're just, you're in a situation that's stressful, you just kind of do your job. Like you, you run through all the steps in your mind. You are able to get through it at work, but like afterwards when you're able to reflect on it and it just like kind of those memories and images and like you you can almost hear conversations or hear the sounds of, you know, the machines beeping or whatever. It's just, it just like kind of stays with you, you know, neither of us can imagine. And, um, you know, like I, Gosh, I I don't know. I'm just at like a loss for words because a I can't thank the healthcare workers enough. Um, I can't thank you enough for the work that you do and and being here and sharing this with us. I don't know. Like I'm just Jack's crying. I'm crying, <laughs> crying on the inside. Not, no, I I really appreciate yeah. that. He's honestly, weeping. People just listening, just letting us talk and listen, and just acknowledging that the situation is bad. And that's, you know, the most helpful thing. I mean, I have family members that honestly haven't said a word to me about it this entire year. And that's Mm. probably the worst thing is when you're going through all this, you've tried to share and then, you know, they're mad at you that you didn't come to Thanksgiving dinner. It's like, wow. You know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's like really easy. It'd be really easy for you to show up for, for me, but you're more worried about if I, if we're coming to Thanksgiving dinner in a group of, you know, 35 people, it's just mm-hmm. sometimes you just can't get through to people, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's enraging to even hear, especially now that I feel like, you know, I don't know. I, that's, that's a lot. And it stinks too, because on a micro and a macro level, like this whole pandemic has been politicized and you know, it's, it is very polarizing and, you know, it sounds like it's so incredibly frustrating when it's almost like you're at a rooftop screaming, this is what's happening, this is what's happening. And then people, you know, as we mentioned before, are just taking sides, even when it's people in your own family. Yeah, I know. It sounds like it's, it's hard to believe sometimes. I mean, all this is just kind of, I guess, for lack of better words, just traumatizing, not only for patients who are going through this physical thing and mental thing too. Uh-huh. Um, but you as healthcare workers, like, you know, you're saying you could hear the machines going. That's, that's a lot to carry. And so I'm glad that you have a support. Um, you know, does the hospital do anything? You know, your bosses, do, do they do anything to, to support their staff to, to get through this, this hard time and this trauma? Yeah. So I can't, of course I can't speak for every hospital, but I know that, um, hospitals definitely have been, you know, putting together support groups and trying to, you know, support the staff. Of course I, there's, there can always be improvement, you know, and I think, um, people, administrators that don't have the opportunity to jump in and get their hands dirty, you know, it's hard for them to probably understand what we're really going through. Um, but there is some level of, 
support there, you know? So I think, uh, one of the hardest things for me in the beginning was, so I had, um, my daughter in February and when I went back to work, you know, I have this newborn at home and what kept me up at night was like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to bring COVID home to my family and get my newborn baby sick. Like that just ate at me for so long until she got a little older and I felt a little bit more like comfortable. And then I saw, I realized that like, as long as we were being really careful and wearing our gear, um, a lot of staff actually weren't getting sick. So then that made me feel a little better, you know, when she got out of the newborn stage, but for a while that was like really difficult. I was like, should I quit my job? Like I, am I risking my family's life? You know, in the beginning, we didn't really, we didn't really know a whole lot. I think one of the good things we've found out is that uh, kids actually have fared really well with this virus. So, you know, has anything else helped with this or is this still, you know, something that you're walking around with? Honestly, once I was able to kind of disconnect a little bit, that really helped me to compartmentalize all the really heavy stuff that was weighing me down and keeping me awake at night. Like I went, I remember the worst week for me, I got like two hours of sleep, like five days in a row. And I, I don't think I've ever been like in a worse mental state in my life. I was just like, I can't get like these images out of my head. I'm worried about going back to work the next weekend because, you know, I, I don't know what else is going to happen. Like I can't keep, I can't keep doing the same thing, experiencing all this horrible stuff week after week after week. And so it just, the anxiety builds and builds. Um, So honestly, it really wasn't until I, so I got fired. (laughs) Um, I got Mm -hmm. fired for trying to advocate for a patient. I won't go into that really, but um, that actually ended up being kind of a blessing in, in disguise because I was able to disconnect and really just like look at it from the outside. Um, and it really helped me improve my mental health. And I was able to like deal with, with that stuff. Um, and now that I'm going back to work, I think I'm like in a a healthier place and I know how to handle that stress now. I was going to ask like, because you were able to take a step back, yeah, like what do you think you're going to take from what you've learned, you know, due to this break or due to this time where you've able to heal a little bit and start processing? Like, what do you think you're going to take to your new job? Because it's still in the hospital, so. Yeah, so that's a, a great question. Um, You know, before I really kind of just bottled it up inside and I felt like mm. I couldn't talk to anyone about it. You know, I, I did. I do have a couple friends, coworkers, but. I, a hard part about it is feeling like I go home and no one understands me at home, you know? Um, so my husband and I actually kind of had, uh, we reached kind of like a peak where we had like a blowout. So this was like around kind of the worst point for me, um, when like the worst stuff was going on. Like I had lost a former coworker to COVID-19 like it was just like a bad, really bad time for me. A lot of stress and anxiety. I said, you have no idea what I've been through. You have no idea what it's like. Like you just don't know. And I think at that point for him, he realized like crap, like, you know, like she's going through, I don't know what she's going through. I, I think 
we needed that to happen. And then ever since then, like you've had so many discussions about it and he's like way more understanding. And I feel like I can at least come home and he tries to like understand. We have a better connection. I have a better support system with him because he gets it. And I think like I need to just be able to take some time to myself, you know, because with two little kids at home, you don't really have alone time. They need you all the time. So I think just being able to decompress, um, get the rest I need, I think I'm just going to be able to handle it better. Now, it's still going to be hard. I'm sure, you know, once we start working again, you know, I'm going to have those hard times, but I think I'm like a little bit more equipped to, to handle the stress this time. Yeah, that's imperative to have your alone time, especially when your job's demanding and then your job at home is demanding, being a mom, being a wife, yeah. definitely taking time for yourself 100%. Yes, definitely. So I see a lot of people say, wear your masks, socially distance. Part of it is do it for the healthcare workers, do it for the frontline workers. Is that a sentiment that you share? So... You know, I I think you should do it because I think collectively we should be working towards a solution. You know, nobody wants to wear a mask everywhere. No one wants to be away from their families. I don't want to wear a mask everywhere. Um, but, you know, I think if we all work together to try to tackle this thing, we're going to get further, you know. And I think it's a small sacrifice to make, really. Um, I, I, you know, I've always been kind of, I, I kind of like, I would rather be wrong about wearing a mask than not wearing a mask, you know? And so I, I just feel like it's a small sacrifice to make. And even if it's like, okay, even if wearing a mask reduces the spread of COVID-19 by like 20% or 15%, like that is worth it. You know, that's worth it. Yeah. I, you know, I might be able to prevent a vulnerable person that I love from getting sick. So of course I'm going to do it. Is that really that big of a sacrifice? And that's just kind of like showing respect and love for somebody, but people are so caught up in, I don't want to be told what to do that. I think we're just like missing this element of caring for one another, you know, and it's unfortunate. I feel like the, and this is like my own theory. So it's fact. (laughs) Right. Um, Of course. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like our issue with masks and all this stuff, it just really speaks to collectively our issue with like respecting people's boundaries in general. Mm. And so like my theory is, you know, people who really want to screw other people's boundaries, like don't care. Um, It's just like a, it's just a large scale thing, you know, something that's collectively going to help the community. Um, it just bothers me because if you can't respect someone's boundaries, whether it's wear a mask, please, for the health of our whole world, um, even down to like, please don't cat call me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's a whole bunch right. of boundaries that I mean, I feel like over the years we've really started recognizing how many people, especially, you know, people in the spotlight or whatever, really don't give a shit about people's boundaries. Mm-hmm. And this is just like a global and maybe not global because the United States seems to be number one, but yeah, I think you know what I mean? It's like I, a culture thing, you know, I, yes. I only care about 
I'm only going to do what I want to do. I don't care about your boundaries. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, I feel like for some reason people think unless masks work a hundred percent, it's not worth wearing one. And it's like, it's like condoms. Yeah. 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 (laughs) You're going to wear condoms. Yeah. It's like, I, you know, of course it's not a hundred percent. You know, if you're, if you're, if you guys are, you know, let's say one of you has COVID and doesn't know it and you guys are wearing masks and you're in a room together for an hour, like, yeah, even though you're wearing a mask, you'll probably get it. But if Mm -hmm. we're in a situation where like, if I'm passing you in the store and you don't know you have it, like it's like, it's you're stopping your droplets from going it everywhere, you know? And people, I, I hate these little, like I could make a bingo card of just excuses of like, people will be like, well, look at the, look at the fine print on your mask box. It says it doesn't protect against COVID-19. I'm like, you realize that for legal reasons, like they can't yeah. say that this mask will prevent you from getting COVID-19. You know, I, it just amazes me that people with no background in medicine or science or, you know, public health, they, they, they don't mm-hmm. understand dis- diseases or viruses. They just have such strong opinions. And it's like, you you literally have no expertise in this field whatsoever, yeah. but you have like such a strong opinion. It, it just boggles my mind, you know? Yeah. It's, it's people being selfish. Yeah. That's true. That's, yeah. that's all it is. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I definitely think that where we are now in the world with social media, with everything online, this happened so differently compared to swine flu swine flu was what 10 years ago yeah yeah it was 2009 2010 yeah yeah and this was just this is just so different like i think things spread so much throughout this entire podcast we kept saying we saw on social media we read we heard whatever it is and and that's i don't know it just made me think about how much things have changed and just how much i guess like you know these trends and what we're sharing um is this is just where we are now compared to 10 or so years ago oh yeah yeah social media was definitely not the same 10 years ago otherwise you know if that happened now for sure the same things would be going on Mm -hmm. yeah so we want to know what i mean it sounds like i could probably guess but what is your ask if you're able to address a group of people you know, regarding this, regarding your work, regarding the pandemic, if you have an ask, what would it be? Of course, it'd be easy just to say, wear a mask, get your vaccine. But I think to go a level deeper than that is to put down your walls and be willing to listen, to consider changing your stance, consider changing your opinion. I know this is cliche to say, but like, think, think outside the box, you know, the people you interact with and social media, the people that are your friends, you're, you're seeing the same stuff every day. Social media and Google reflect your world back to you the way they think you want to see it. So to like try to engage with someone in civil, like kind conversation to like really hear what they have to say. Stop posting memes that are oversimplified. We just don't have enough conversation. It's very like defensive. So I guess my ask would be, of course, yes, I get your vaccine and please help us with not getting together in large groups. We don't want to see you sick, but like listen to an expert, you know, like 
try to educate yourself. So I think that would be my biggest ask. Put your walls down and have conversations like we are right now. And, and so, um, we really appreciate you sharing everything that you just did. Like it was, um, you know, this is definitely eye opening to me and, and I hope it was eye opening to those who are listening, uh, about something that we've been dealing with for, uh, you know, a year now. Um, and, and I think, you know, you're definitely right. Like we, we, we read these posts and, and look at things, but I don't know if we are quite processing it and thinking about it a little bit more critically and just having these conversations. So yeah, um, definitely. Thank you for, for doing this. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's, it's good to talk to people that, you know, want to share this information with others and get it out there. Um, it's been great talking to you guys. And and one final question for you here that we like to ask all of our guests. Mm-hmm. Um, but what is one thing you don't know how to do, but want to learn how to do? Oh yeah. So like, this is random, but I have never, <laughs> <laughs> I've never skied or snowboarded before. And I'm like relatively good on like a board. I like got up wakeboarding my first try and stuff. And I don't know. I just have always wanted to do that and I've never done it. So I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you once again for, for being on and um, just sharing so much with us and, and being vulnerable um, and kind of reopening Mm -hmm. that, that door a little bit again to that you know, like that environment, that trauma, you know, the, the emotions and, and all that kind of stuff with us. Um, it's not a very easy thing to do. So, um, yeah, I just, I can't say thank you enough for the work that you've done, uh, for the people in it, you know, in this world and, and for being honest, sharing with us. And, and I hope that folks are listening to this and they're able to, you know, like you were saying, let down the walls and, and learn a little bit. Hey, thank you oh, so man. much. I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Please subscribe and share with your friends. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at who knows we don't pod. Send us a message with what topics you're interested in hearing more about. And if you want to be on the podcast, we'd love to have you on. Drop us a line. Love you, baby. Love you. <laughs> <laughs>